The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. So I'm pretty excited about what we're doing today. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool. This is one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. Yeah, it's it's my favorite, too. I mean, it's the one I look back on when I'm in a bad mood because <laughs> it, it, you can't help but laugh. Well, that's true. That's true. I, I, I think these two are seriously the Beavis and Butthead. Uh, yeah, serial killers. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. You know, because they each had to outdo each other, you know, when it came down to it. Right, and that's what I love. Yeah, yeah. It's, you like, know, it's like dumb trying to outdo dumb. <laughs> How does dumb outdo dumb? Oh, wait, Otis and Tool. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much it right there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how, how it happens. Yeah, you know, you pretty get, much. You get two morons sitting there going, yeah, the, these two really remind me of the, that hold my beer moment. Yeah, like but he, well, because you had the one moron, and then the other one heard what the other one was getting, and he was like, I'm a moron too. Ah, totally. <laughs> All right, so let's get into Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool shoot it at me. All right, well, you know, we titled this episode, Two Violent Men Tell Shocking Lies and the People That Were Gullible Enough to Believe Them. And then the subtitle title was Ridiculous Myths and a Clueless Nation Trying to Separate Fact from Fiction. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you could separate fact from fiction in this episode, more power to you because we're still questioning it. Uh, no kidding, man. <laughs> We did this like, uh, I think in month two or three. Right, right. So the, for those of you that don't know, um, Brutal Nation has been on the air for quite a while. Yeah, since uh, June 28th, 2021. And we're at almost 300 episodes. Yeah. Um, we're going to hit 300 uh, this month, I think. Yeah. And uh, so we decided we're going to kind of... Redo our classics. Yeah, redo our classics as a clean version. That way they're... <laughs> everybody- Scott- that way there we can appeal to us a broader audience. Yeah, because Scotty <laughs> might have a little bit of a potty mouth. <laughs> a little bit. I know what Scott's favorite word is, and it's not suitable for TV or younger audiences. It's not suitable for the human race. <laughs> That's true. With as much as I use it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, hang on. So, you know, um, hang on. When we first started Brutal Nation, remember, you and I made a promise to each other that we would only air... Um, Crimes that, I mean, the serial killers that were lesser known, correct. right? Correct. And we didn't want to regurgitate information that everybody could hear on the on the podcast or read on the internet. For instance, we will never be one of those podcasts that will read Wikipedia and swear it's fact. Or do Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne oh, yeah. Gacy, unless there's something. Ted Bundy. Well, yeah. we did do Ed Gein that one time, but. That's only because I had a theory that you kind of agreed with in the end. Right. Well, and that, that's a little bit different. Unless we can yeah. add credible yeah. uh, information. That's different from everybody else. Because we we don't want to just produce another, you know, podcast that says, oh, we're, you know, here's Ted Bundy or whatever, you know? Right. Well, honestly, Ted Bundy, as much as he's one one of my favorites, he's been overdone so much. I was going to say, he was one of my favorites, too, because he was so Freaking intelligent. 
Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and he, like, I mean, I'll never forget um, when he said the guy, they were trying to get his teeth imprints, remember? Oh, yeah. And he was, like, give it, he was saying, why do you need this, and blah, 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 and they were, like, because we want to make sure that this was you, and he goes, oh, okay, and he, like, sat down like he had nothing to worry about, and they were an exact match, remember that? No, I do, I do. So let's, yeah. get, let's get into Lucas and Joel here. Yeah, so if we ever present a well-known case, it's because we have a different perspective or theory that we haven't heard before and we want to share it with others so keep in mind that we are not experts in psychology or criminal justice for that matter we just have always been fascinated by the dark side of humanity and what makes a person do the unthinkable so mainly because you and i believe everyone has a dark side but not everybody has reached that breaking point to send them over the edge um, and they have not experienced that one thing that will drive them past the point of no return, right? That's so, correct. Yeah. So that being said, this case is so bizarre and unbelievable that most would think it's a work of fiction, but I'm telling you it's real life. I go with it. This is a work of genius because it's just <laughs> like I want. Yeah, what they did, it's amazing. I suffer from depression. I take medication for it, but. When I'm feeling super down, I tell you what, I replayed the original to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel much better about my life all Yeah, because if you want to hear the original, just go to Brutal Nation on any podcast uh, platform and look at episode 37. You know, and it'll it'll tell you exactly what we're talking about. Um, let's see. This is a story about violent two violent men who were lovers at one time. And it just so happens one half of this killer couple is relatively well-known throughout the nation. However, the other one is not. Since it's been said that they committed some of the murders together, I have to include them both in this presentation, right? Well, they committed a whole lot of them together, but I Well, yeah, but they, they did have their separate sprees as well. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So the first person I'm talking about is Henry Lee Lucas. He was called the Confession Killer and that's there's a reason we'll get into that. But then we have Otis Toole, the cannibal kid. And there's a reason for that, too. But I'll get into that a little later. Um, Henry Lee achieved notoriety when trying to convince law enforcement officials that he had committed as many as 600 murders. He allegedly committed some of these he allegedly committed with Otis and some he committed alone. Now, some of the confessions given by Henry Lee and Otis both were so ridiculous, I cannot even believe that the authorities entertained their validity. I was floored by how gullible some of these detectives were, especially, and I don't say this very often, the Texas Rangers, right? No kidding, because you have Walker, Texas Ranger, and Chuck Norris is badass. We all know Um, that. He's not as good as Bruce Lee. Oh, way better. Nah. Bruce Lee, he's been proven to beat up Chuck Norris twice. Chuck let him win. Whatever. Just to give him a boost of confidence. He's feeling sorry for Bruce. (laughs) Whatever. We all know Bruce Lee was a kung fu master. I will argue this to my dying day. Nope. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm team Chuck Norris. Team Bruce all the way. Uh, You know what? Not everybody can be perfect like I am. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. I'm done. So um, perhaps the law enforcement officials were just so desperate to close the cold cases, they would have believed anything they were told to he- to clear their backlog, which I can understand on some level, right? Mm-hmm. So I use the word alleged 
a moment ago because although some of the confessions given by these two men were substantiated, some of them have been discounted. However, there are some that are still actually up in the air. Therefore, we will never know the truth about the extent of the terror they wreaked across the nation. Many of the tales they spout, the tales that were spouted by Henry Lee and Otis were so far-fetched. In our original episode, you and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. And it wasn't because you and I can always find humor in tragedy. We just couldn't believe the two of them thought people would believe them. Yet, sadly, some law enforcement officials did just that. Their confessions were so bizarre, and you just said this a second ago, that we... That we that we thought we were discussing an episode of Brutus and, I mean, Brutus, Beavis and Butthead as serial killers. Yeah, and that, that's what I still stand by right there, yeah. honestly. And for those who don't know about Beavis and Butthead, it is a cartoon from, what, the 90s, early 2000s that was known yeah. for its outlandish storylines. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So as you follow along with us, keep in mind that a lot of their claims have never been substantiated. So you should take them with a grain of salt. Maybe you'll be better off at separating fact from fiction than hundreds of detectives across the nation back in the 80s. But now that I've given you that little disclaimer, let me delve into the case of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, two men who tried to defraud the nation. Um, I found a quote for this episode from, actually it was from Mulan, the Disney episode. The you Disney the movie. Cartoon? I meant, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Disney movie with, you know, Eddie Murphy as a dragon. He was? I know, yeah, I've never seen Mushu it. Yeah, he played Mushu the Dragon. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, my pug was named after him. Oh, wicked cool. Yeah, so I know at once that you were meant for me. Deep inside my soul, I know that I'm your destiny. Right? Jesus, that sounds like something you'd hear on the love station. Yeah. The radio. Holy but cow. But was it destiny or was it a match made in, you know, Hades? <laughs> I think so, it was a match made in a clinic for those that are... Not exactly. In a free clinic? Yeah, like a free clinic. <laughs> like, oh, like, my gosh. Like, this is what I have. I have crabs. What do you have? Oh, that's way worse than me. Let's get together. Which isn't far right? from the truth. As we get into the story, you'll find out how they met. Yeah. So paying homage to my favorite Betty White and her, and her sitcom, Golden Girls. Picture it. Jacksonville. It's a warm, sunny day. Ready? And I love... We have another show called Scotty and Squatch. We do, and we haven't done that one in forever. And we have, uh, well, it's it's stupid news. And yeah. we, a lot of it comes out of Jacksonville, Florida. A lot of it comes out of Florida, period, but the funniest ones are Jacksonville. Oh, yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So outside of a local soup kitchen, two soulmates met for the first time. The first man was 29-year-old Otis Toole, a tall, thin man. And the second was 40-year-old Henry Lee Lucas, a shorter man who had to tilt his head to look into the eyes of his future lover. Oh, secret <laughs> lovers. Sancho, you're mine. It just touches my heart. Sorry. I choked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. The soup kitchen. Are you crying? A little bit, yeah. It's love at first sight. It's, it's love at first soup kitchen sight. <laughs> Oh. Hang on, I get into it in a minute here. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Are you going to swoon? Ooh, I'm getting, getting the vapors. <laughs> getting the vapors. Getting the, oh, that's right. That's southern vapors. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm over here getting the vapors. Oh, my God. Give me the salts. Give me the salts. I need the salts. It's just, it's too much for me to handle. It's just so lovely. 
Go on, go on. It's, it's in Jacksonville. It's a beautiful day. It's, it's like a gone with the wind. It is, it is. <laughs> All we need is Rat Butler to show up now. No, oh my Miss God, you're Scarlet. so <laughs> I hate you. So people often describe Henry Lee, Henry Lee and Otis as gruff men with crooked teeth and darkness that ooze from their aura. Crooked my butt. None. Have you not seen the pictures of them? <laughs> Otis Sewell has none. Oh, no. Henry Lee has none. And o- Otis's is like a um, like a car. Uh, the grill of a car got into an accident with a semi. Uh, he's got summer teeth. Summer here. <laughs> summer there. Is that my new hillbilly word of the day? <laughs> summer. <laughs> yep. That's your hillbilly word of the day. <laughs> summer. <laughs> So Henry Lee seemed to be the scruffier of the two men as he squinted from his left eye. That eye was a fake one, and it continuously leaked uncon- in it with an uncontrollable ooze. That was the descriptions I read, not my own. At 29 years old, Otis already had a thinning hairline. There was a large gap between his two front teeth caused by his poor oral hygiene practices. It's called the guide, but okay. <laughs> that it whistles? Yeah, we'll leave it with that. I'm not going to go into the... Uh... <laughs> Never mind. Please no, continue. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. I'm working on it. Y- y'all yeah. don't know how hard it is because, so, yeah, it's, it's hard yeah, to keep Yeah, so clean. picture a Journey song here. As Henry Lee and Otis locked eyes from across the room, it's possible they each sense something about the other. Don't partic- stop believing. No, I can see it, yeah. <laughs> what is a Smoky... Something? I can't think of it right now. A singer in a smoky room. Yeah, there you go. Smell of wine and cheap perfume. Except the smell of soup and cheap perfume. Cheap cologne. They're men. Well, you never know. Maybe maybe Otis wanted to feel pretty. I was going to say, we'll get into something in a little bit. but um. He's wearing Chanel number discarded. (laughs) And... uh, you know, he's like, I feel pretty Chanel today. number, never mind. Yep. And he's like, I feel pretty. I got some panties on. And uh, I like the way it feels against my skin. It's super duper pooper trooper. Yeah, the silky drawers. <laughs> Keep your hands off my silky drawers. <laughs> I just, I can't. Jesus Christ. That was from oh, Greece, my. by the way. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, you know my favorite Keep your movie. filthy paws off, off my, my silky, silky drawers. Would you pull that with a net? <laughs> so, a... Uh, particular quality they both had that would draw them together as partners. A few short days after that initial meeting, the two men were sharing a bed together. Now, this mismatched pair became partners in both love and cruelty from that moment. What followed, if true, was one of the deadliest crime sprees in American history. Makes me wonder if my buddy Brandon would, ch- would cuddle with me. Um, no, probably I don't know, not. but you've been trying <laughs> to get not. our friend, you know, Craigery to do it, he won't. So what does that tell Craig you? Craig cracks me up. I love Craig to death, Dad. He's he is freaking such awesome. An awesome guy. He is so awesome. I like it because every time I go, hey Craig, you want to cuddle with me? I'm like no, hell no, dude, no. Dude, we're what friends, but not like that. Yeah, I, I, I love you, brother, but I don't yeah. love you, love you like well, that. It's so cool that you know because you introduced me to him as friends, and he is so awesome that with all everything that's been going on with me lately. He will actually call and check up on me at least once a week. Yeah, there's nothing I wouldn't do for Craig. Yeah, to make to sure honest. that I'm doing okay. So, um, let me just, oh, I missed it. Hang on, I lost my place for a second. Oh, <laughs> however, unlike some other killer duels that we, duos that we've covered in the past, Henry, Lee, and Otis didn't have to be together to commit murder. They also proved they could commit vile acts on their own. Um, 
Henry Lee was born in Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah, he didn't come from Jacksonville. Which makes me kind of sad. I thought that all the freaks came from Jacksonville, but all right. Yeah, well, in Virginia, close enough. Yeah, close enough. We'll go with that. And he was born on August 23rd, 1936. His childhood was filled with abuse and neglect, which may have played a significant role in his adult life. You think? We've talked about behavioral conditioning Oh, yeah, totally, totally. But like my my favorite TikToker does, I digress. I digress. (laughs) (laughs) So... His father was actually a railroad worker who lost both of his legs in a railroad accident. His mother, Viola, had to find a way to support the family. So, of course, she turned to prostitution. We see that a lot, man. There's a lot of hooking going on, man. Right. Well, and I say this next is although it's not something she should have been ashamed of because she was trying to support her family. And it's the world's oldest profession. It is. It is. You and I have talked about many times. It should be legalized to offer them protection. Uh, You know, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Probably this. Don't swear. I'm not. I'm not. However, it's the world's, like I said, it's the world's oldest profession. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and this is just my opinion. It doesn't reflect uh, the opinion of any radio station that. You know, we'll pick this up or whatever. Twisted Blue LLC in general, or or my or or my company, Twisted Blue LLC. But here's the deal. Prostitution is going to be around no matter if it's legal or illegal. From now until the end of time. Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's not going to change. If there's regulations in place to help maybe control the spread of disease. And, and better, protect them and from protect violence. Them, yes. And protect them from violence. I, I, I just, for me, I think that that would be a much better thing. Now, granted, I don't visit prostitutes. <laughs> this week. No oh, today. that's great. Thank you. <laughs> I had to do it. You know that. You're hilarious. No, I'd, uh, I'd never seen the need to visit prostitutes, but some people do, and that's their deal. I don't I don't judge, man. Your deal is your deal. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, you and I both talked. I mean, because isn't our famous line is our go-to phrase, prostitutes are people too. No, and I've protected them in many episodes. Yeah, we always have. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of times law enforcement doesn't care about them. That's true. You know, they're, hookers- called, they're called, and it's a known fact because police, law enforcement, it, uh, officials have said it. They are called, quote, throwaway people. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the exception of Rochester PD. You got it. <laughs> Rochester PD. And we'll do we'll do that episode, uh, which is about. Um, oh, dang. I can't remember. The Spahalski brothers or after that? No, no, no. It wasn't the. Pers- per- yeah, them. Uh, God dang it. Say it twice. I dare you. <laughs> I can't say. Per- yeah, that one. Um, once. Not Joel Rifkin, right? No, no, I, w- I wanted to say Shawcross, but no, that is it. It was Shawcross. It was Shawcross. Right. Yeah, he was a weird character too. <laughs> right, that's that's what turned me on to how quick the yeah. uh, Rochester, New York PD, you know, because they keep a hook book. They do keep a hook book. And after the second prostitute died, they're like, "Hey, man, we got somebody who's killing prostitutes. We need to figure this out." Right. Well, we Dallas kept a hook book too. Remember when we covered Charles Albright, the eyeball killer? Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because those two officers who worked the hook beat. Um, she kept, the woman in general kept a hook book so she could keep track of the hookers to make sure they were doing okay. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the, but anyway, my, my whole thing is make it legal, man. Yeah. You're well, going to have hookers no matter what. Even if something happens to them, it's not, it's not because they deserved it. Just like a woman doesn't deserve to be raped just because she was wearing a short skirt. Right. And you know, I, I know that we're going to have listeners going, wow, oh, it's disgusting. He supports hookers. No, I, here's my deal. The arrangement that a man and woman make between each other. Is their business. When you get married, you're paying for sex. That's my opinion. Amen. No. 
Because oh, God knows I've been married enough times. You pay for sex. Why? Because you're you're buying houses and you're you're it's it's expensive. You're buying jewelry. You're buying flowers. You're buying food. Hell, even yeah. commercials will tell you it. My favorite comes from a jewelry store that's... Uh, K Jewelers. Yeah, their their tagline is, and they do this every Christmas. And they 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 play mm-hmm. this song, but darling, most of all, I love how you love me. Yeah, and you know what I hear. Honestly, I hear, but darling, most of all, I love all your money. Because it's always yeah. something like... I love how much you spent on me. Yeah. For the low cost of $2,350, you can show her that you really do love her. Well, see, and I'm wondering why I'm not married again. Because, well, not number one, I don't want to get married again. But number two is, I can't wear jewelry. And I don't like roses. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Did you stop? Did I lose you? No, you didn't. <laughs> you said roses. I started thinking about a uh, really sad Red Sylvine song. And Oh, yeah. I love Red Sylvine. I do. I, I, yeah. I, I have a love and hate relationship with him, to be honest. Yeah, because he's so sad. Yeah, well, roses for mama. Oh, I'm, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Y'all out there, I'm 49 years old. And to this day, ever since I was a child, that song, Roses for Mama by Red Sylvine, I will still cry. Really? You know what? When oh well, and there's a reason why this one makes me cry, but Teddy Bear. Because that was my Ooh, dad's yeah. favorite song. And as he was on I mean, I'm gonna cry right now, sorry. But as he was on his deathbed, I played it for him and he couldn't even speak, but I saw him smile. <laughs> yeah, and I'm crying now and I'm so I'm so sorry. See, we should never talk about it. new role. New role for the whole <laughs> company. Matter of fact, we got one of our researchers in the studio today. There's a new role. We don't ever talk about Red Sylvine. <laughs> That's, that, that's going into the handbook, too. Yeah. Anybody who re- uh, mentions Red Sylvine is automatically terminated. Well, and as, I was just going to say that there have only been two episodes I've cried at, and that was Joshua Phillips and yes. Rodney Alcala. Oh, totally. And totally. Joshua Phillips, because he touched my heart, and Rodney Alcala, because I related to the victims on a personal level. Oh, totally. Yeah. But let's talk about something funny. Let's talk about being Yeah, let's get on here. with this before I cry again. So, um, although... Oh, wait. At the time, though, she may have felt that it was her only option to support her family because her husband couldn't work anymore. However, how she treated her son, Henry Lucas, Henry Lee, was nothing short of tragic. I mean, I don't agree with how she did this. Viola was known to beat him regularly. She beat Henry Lee on one occasion with so much violence that he was actually in a coma for three days. He later talked about how this, how his mother would often force him to watch as she had sex with her clients. And he also claimed that Viola forced him to wear girls' clothes and found other ways to torment him. For instance, she allegedly shot the family mule, his favorite pet, right in front of him. And that's what comes into behavioral conditioning. So yeah. while we're not experts on this, I do have a degree in psychology. Um, you do. I mean, and you and I have talked about it, that it was more of a necessity than a desire. It really was. Just a brief yeah. synopsis. I keep going off on tangents, but we'll go off on one more, I guess. Um, I got a degree in psychology to fix myself. Yeah. Because I know a lot about behavioral conditioning. I was raised in a very abusive household. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> and you and I ha- both were, so. <laughs> and that's what's happening with Henry Lee right here. You, we can see the formation of behavioral conditioning. Mm-hmm. You are... Violence only begets violence. Let's just be True. honest. As a matter of fact, well, let me take that back just a little bit. The, the violence in general will trigger one of two reactions. You either get violence out of it. It's, it's fight or flight. Yeah, you either become violent or you cower. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And obviously he's not one to cower because I get the feeling that if he would have done that around his mother, the beatings would have gotten worse. Why? Because oftentimes when, a, when, when an abusive person is attacking, if you cower, they feel more un- empowered. Yeah, they, they have this sense of, like, yeah, superiority. It's like, oh, my gosh, I have the fear of God in him. Having an asthma attack. Are you? Oh, yeah, beautiful. Oh, well, you it's know, smoky outside right oh now. My God, it's getting worse. Yeah, this I'm glad be, my I'm glad my insurance in unit. Today. I'm glad my storage unit is insured. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's just horrible right now because we have such a smoke overhaze right now because there's a fire in Mount Hood area that I hope it doesn't turn into what we had a couple of years ago. No, can all right. Yeah, you may continue. So, um, according to Henry Lee, though, and I need to state this because I didn't in the beginning. When I say according to. You need to take that with a grain of salt. When it comes to either one of them, yes, please yes, do. Because unless I say it's been proven, please just don't believe it. <laughs> okay, so according to Henry Lee, Viola would also sexually abuse him by forcing him to have sex with her. He claimed she would pinch and torture his genitals to discipline him when he acted out. Although it's highly probable he suffered from some sort of sexual abuse as a child, none of these claims have ever been substantiated. But I honestly wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't either. Because of his future actions. Yeah. I mean, because you and I know what he both did here in a minute. Did I lose you? No, I'm just listening. Oh, I thought I lost you because I thought you were like, what did they do? No, no. Uh, oh. For those of you that don't understand what you're talking about, well, there's a, a sound screen in between us. That way there doesn't... There is. I cannot and... see him anymore. I know. You don't get to see my beautiful it face. Might... Yeah, that's a blessing, not a curse. I'm fabulous. <laughs> so, therefore, no proof has, was ever found regarding what level of abuse he sustained. I do believe that he did on some level because of what he's done. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. So when Henry Lee was a young teenager, his brother actually took a knife and sliced his left eye. That wound developed an infection, which caused him to lose it. Now, this happened in the 1940s, and his family was destitute. So although the damaged eyeball was replaced with a glass one, it gave him problems for the rest of his life because they couldn't afford the doctor to um, insert it right. You know what I mean? Right. So Plus it didn't, didn't fit tech- quite right. They didn't have the technology that we have now where they learned it. You have to cut yeah. some things, man. Well, and not just that. It's like they say it kind of like because I did a little further research after we did this episode. And I'm kind of pointing at it like people can see me. Right. But it kind of rested against his tear duct, which caused it to weep more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll happen. Yeah, exactly. Um Apparently, the glass eye, I said it here, didn't set well in the socket, and it often caused the tear ducts of that eye to leak involuntarily. So, Henry Lee's obvious physical deformity caused the other children in the neighborhood and even some of his own relatives to ridicule him. Not long after the incident that resulted in losing his left eye, he ran away from home to become a drifter, and he was only about 13 or 14 years old, which... You and I both know isn't the first time that's happened. <laughs> no, no, because we're going to be doing Carl Penn's Ram Yeah, as I was well. going to say, Carl kind of touched my heart, too, a little bit. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, because I think there's only one or two that we've actually empathized with. Oh, totally, man. Totally. So, not belong... Uh, not belong. 
<laughs> Henry Lee was only 14 years old when he allegedly committed his first murder. According to him, he met 17-year-old Laura Burnsley at a bus stop and propositioned her. She apparently rejected his advances, and he retaliated by beating and raping her before strangling her to death. Hey, baby, do you like leaky glass eyes? <laughs> no, and I no don't. <laughs> and no teeth. I'm sure he probably had some back then, but whatever. I got three teeths. If you have a few more, we have a full set. That's the South. <laughs> that makes me sad, man. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, Joja. Why do you want to be mean to me like that, man? You know, because I love Joja. I only love it because Joja comes out every once in a while on you. And you know me, I love a Southern accent. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I never speak Southern ever again. Then don't get drunk or sing. Damn it. <laughs> I knew I, I knew I had it. <laughs> I can't not sing. I kinda... And you can't not get drunk. <laughs> well, I used to give me a minute. I might could again. <laughs> there we go. So, um, Henry Lee claimed that after he murdered Laura, he continued to wander aimlessly around Virginia. During this period in his life, he also allegedly began some sort of, quote, romantic relationship with his half-brother. Now, let me remind you, half is not step, so they at least had some blood connection. Hey, man, the family that lays together stays together. <laughs> she ain't so, good enough for her family. She, who is she, she good, good for? for? <laughs> you said for, it's for. I know, I, I realized I made that mistake, but you said it, <laughs> not me. So, in 1954, Henry Lee was arrested and charged with more than 12 counts of burglary. The court found him guilty, and as a result, he was sentenced to serve four years in prison. If he had kept his nose clean while he was there, because of the nature of his crimes, he would have been released early, probably within a year or two. However, in 1957, he chose to escape with probably very little time left before his parole. He wasn't on the run for very long because he was recaptured by the authorities and returned to prison. As a result of that escape, he received additional charges and he was forced to remain incarcerated until 1959, which basically was like two years after he would have been paroled originally. Because you're a smart one, Mr. Mr. Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) So while he was serving time in prison on burglary charges, he became pen pals with a woman. It wasn't wasn't long before he fell in love with her. Upon his release in 1959, he voiced his intentions to marry the woman. However, Viola, his mother, stated that she wouldn't abide by such nonsense. I'm pretty sure she said, over my dead body. I think so, too. She's in Virginia. Over my dead body, hoss. You know, but that's the same way that I met my girlfriend is I was drunk. And uh, then she smacked me a couple times. And I said, well, I guess we're dating now. She said, damn right. She scares me. <laughs> Nobody believes me. So here's the thing. They look at her, and she's not very big. She looks like she belongs in a library. All sweet. I am deathly afraid of her. Really? Like, I think she can. Mur- I, I, I really believe in my heart that she can murder me in my sleep. And here's the messed up thing, especially being where, where I live. The cops around here, Vancouver PD and me, don't. Yeah, they don't like you. 
they would look at it and go, I think he fell on that your, knife. I think your picture's on their dashboard as uh, America's Most Wanted. Yeah, and I, I haven't even done anything. This uh, like today. Me. Today. But yeah, they bet he fell on that knife 37 times. That's what happened. You threw that lamp at yourself, bitch. No, that happened to me. That's how I went to jail that one time. I know. That's Freaking why I said crazy it. Crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs> that's the name of a TV show. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Crazy ex girlfriend. I should be on that one. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, while Henry Lee was serving. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Apparently, Henry Lee's mother was insistent that rather than getting married, her son was to come home so he could take care of her. This caused the two of them to get into a discussion over the matter. And I'm, I'm using discussion loosely here. Henry Lee later claimed that the argument became quite heated rather quickly. At some point, she grabbed, Viola grabbed a broom and used it to hit Henry Lee over the head, which I can, I can see that because it's the South. Right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's that whole spare the rod, spoil the child, especially back in the 50s. Oh, hell or, yeah, yeah, man. Hey, I'm just saying. There was kids. nothing like child abuse back then. <laughs> it was discipline. <laughs> Sometimes kids need the butt whooping. Yeah. I Well, you know what? I abide by the fact that swat your kid on the butt every once in a while because you know what? It won't hurt them, but it'll scare them. <laughs> true, true, true. Mm-hmm. So um, when she struck him... Apparently, he became so angry, he responded by taking his knife out and stabbing her in the neck. Sweet. I know. And you and I have talked about this, that, you know, he, I mean, we just mentioned a little bit ago, he retaliated the only way he he felt necessary because he was tired of the abuse. No, yeah, I kind of understand it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I've told you many times there, there was a time in my childhood when I was so fed up with the abu- abuse that I used to dream about hitting my stepfather in the head with a cast iron skillet. I never did it, but I thought about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, when Henry Lee talked about this incident later, he stated, quote, all I remember was slapping her alongside her neck. But after I did that, I saw her fall and decided to grab her. But she fell to the floor, and when I went back to pick her up, I realized she was dead. Then I noticed that I had my knife in my hand, and she had been cut. So, do you think that's possible? Sure, why not? Let's just go with that. No, I was like, the fact that he did it in the heat of the moment that he didn't realize he was doing it. Oh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, somebody just attacked you with a broom, and you all of a sudden decide, I got to cut her. Yeah, I was going to say, because I've retacted Retacted, reacted in violence sometimes, and I didn't realize what I was doing until it was too late. So, after Henry Lee realized what he had done, he actually fled the house. He thought he had actually killed Viola. So, he left her lying on the ground. However, she wasn't dead. His half-sister, Opal... Oh, my God, that's a southern name. I love that name, too. That's an old name. That is an old name. So is Viola. No, that's true. That's true. Carry on. Yeah, so she walked into the room, and a short time after Henry Lee left, and she and she saw Viola struggling to stay alive. She quickly ran to the phone and called for an ambulance. However, shortly, well, shortly after that, the paramedics arrived and loaded Viola into the ambulance to take her to the hospital. However, on the way to the hospital, she suffered a heart attack, and they couldn't revive her, so she was pronounced dead on arrival. So he didn't kill her, but the, re- the results of what, you know, the effect of what he did killed her. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So the authorities caught up to Henry Lee and t- placed him under arrest, and they charged him with second-degree murder. 
Which, maybe back then they didn't have manslaughter. You know what I mean? Because I think that's more of a manslaughter charge. Well, no, it wouldn't be. She's a woman. It'd be woman slaughter. Oh, dear God. Here we go. <laughs> Dad joke number one. <laughs> oh, yes. So... After he was charged with man's, or second degree murder, he was convicted in 1960. And the judge decided to sentence him to a minimum of 20 years. He was framed. I was framed, framed, framed. I was framed. <laughs> That's Richie Valens. I know. Uh, see, not many people do, though. So I found out something interesting while reading the various reports and articles that detail this case. While Henry Lee was sitting in prison for second degree murder... His future lover, Otis Toole, was only 13 years old. Huh. Young love. Barely out of puberty. Or barely starting puberty. Old enough to go to the store, old enough to get bread? You know I don't like it when you say that. That might not be appropriate for this show, but I don't know. No. So on March 5th, 1947, Otis Toole was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Like his future lover, Henry Lee, Otis had a violently abusive childhood. His father was a raging alcoholic who was hardly ever home before abandoning the family altogether. To soothe the pain she was experiencing, his mother turned to religion. And not long after she chose to cling to faith, she became a religious fanatic. Right? And you and I were both raised Southern Baptist. I know. And I, I always recommend to anybody, if you do get a chance to go to a Southern Baptist church, don't. Walk right by it. Uh, unless it's a black Southern Baptist. Because they're different. different. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah, because Southern Baptist is turn or burn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Otis's mother often used her religion to justify why she neglected him and doled out vicious punishments. He often felt abandoned by both of his parents, physically by his father and emotionally by his mother. As a result, he fell easy prey to the incest and abuse of other family members and their friends. Now, allegedly, again, I have to say that, Otis was raped when he was five years old by a friend of his father. However, the actual abuse didn't start until he was 10. And revealed to his and when when he revealed to his mother that he was gay which you and i discussed this in the first time we did this show in the 1940s and 50s for a male to come out as gay that was substantial yeah that wasn't super duper pooper trooper yeah that was because bad. it was still considered a disease back then and mm-hmm. illegal it was illegal until the 70s so um hang on i just lost it Oh, if he did, in fact, come out as an openly gay male, his claim of abuse may not be all that far-fetched. Keep in mind, he lived in a very conservative area. That's the Bible Belt. And his mother's ex- with his mother's extreme religious beliefs. Therefore, I would be more shocked if he said his lifestyle was embraced. Right? Right, right, right. Yeah. What are you doing over there? No, I'm just listening to you. You're texting because you ain't responding the way you normally do. I'm just listening so this isn't a 10-hour episode. Whatever. I'm about halfway through already. So after Otis told... Oh, we're halfway there. Hold on. We're living on a... Sorry, I can't sing. 
But um, after Otis told his mother about his sexual orientation, she allegedly forced him to wear dresses to church. He claimed that she also began calling him Susan to bully him into conforming to her perception of normalcy. I'm going to start calling my son that. Uh, didn't you call him Nancy one time? Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> or Alice. And he goes, wait, did you just call me a girl? <laughs> However, after my exhaustive search efforts, I could not find anything that substantiated those claims. I was able to find some reports that indicated Otis actually did enjoy cross-dressing throughout his life. Therefore, there is a chance that he experienced a level of guilt for enjoying what others during that era would have considered a perverse deviant tendency. Right? Right, right. Yeah. So, um, Henry Lee also later claimed that he was forced to wear girls' clothes as a child. Considering the level of competition he and Otis seemed to have while giving their confessions, their cross-dressing accounts may have always been, may have also been false. If one of them received any, any media attention regarding the claim, the other would always try to one-up him. Right? Right, right, I mean, you and I, I mean, we've discussed this episode already. It's going to get insane for a second. Now, sometime around the time Otis was 12 or 13 years old, things became entirely unbearable for him at home. So he actually ran away as well. He said this was around when he also had his first homosexual relationship with a young boy from the neighborhood. He also allegedly began hanging out around the local gay bars. According to what he later claimed, by the time he was 14 years old, he was working the streets as a male prostitute to survive. Apparently, this is when he took the life of his first victim. Now, I'm going to say this right off the hand. This one does not make sense to me, so I don't believe it. Right? Right, right, right. Yeah, so Otis said the man was the traveling salesman, and he killed him after the guy propositioned him for sex. So, if you're a male prostitute... Shouldn't you be propositioned for sex? That's what I'm thinking. That's kind of your thing, right? Yeah. It's like, isn't that like a given? <laughs> it's kind of like what you want people to do. I'm just yeah, saying. right? Just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. How do you get your money if they don't proposition you? You ain't making very much money if you're killing all your clients that and too. not putting out. I'm just saying. That too. Just but saying. it's like, how do you even meet somebody if they're not coming up to you and say, hey, what do you got? <laughs> hey, can I proposition you and you not kill me? <laughs> how much for that? Yeah. How much will that cost me? So allegedly the guy took him out to a wooded area to have sex. And for some reason, the older man exited the car. Otis said that's when he put the car in drive and ran over him, leaving him there to die. That's a waste of a perfectly good tire. Really? You think he messed up the tire? Those were steel cars back then. Yeah, probably just the tires. You ain't messing up the car. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, maybe not even the tire, though, because, I mean, oh, I don't know. I was that's say a you can't tank bend with the rim. round rubber treads. That's what the hell that is. I know, but I was thinking about the metal trim. I mean, the metal, like, you know, rim. That's yeah, what I... He may have got blood on his rims. It's fine. You're so horrible. So, Otis claimed that he drifted all over the lower 48 states for 12 years. He allegedly traveled from Florida in the southeast to Nebraska in the Midwest then on to Colorado. He said he would find shelter in abandoned houses and pick up odd jobs whenever he could find them. He developed a love and disturbing sexual fascination with fire at some point. This, act, this condition is actually referred to as pyrophilia. I mean, as opposed to pyromania where you're just enthralled with the flames. I thought that was an album by Def Leppard. 
no, pyromanias? Yeah, pyromanias. I thought you meant pyrophilia. No, pyromania. No. That was an album by Def Leppard. Yeah, pyromania was. But pyrophilia is actually where you have a um, sexual reaction to the fire. You know what I mean? It, right, right, it, right. Like, emits, I mean, emotes some sort of sexual desire. So it wasn't long before he perfected his skills as an arsonist. During that time, he was... Res- was resisted, arrested on minor charges a few times. Apparently, he was also a person of interest in at least two homicides. In those two cases, the authorities didn't have enough evidence against him to make an arrest. Before uh, finding what they needed, the young man headed back to Jacksonville. I'm a person of interest. You are. For being fabulous. That's not why. That's why, right there. No, dude. They go, oh my God, is that Scott? He's fabulous. He's my person of interest. Name five people. Piece of cake. Number one, your mom. Uh, oh, whatever. yeah. <laughs> Number two, your son, because he thinks I'm funnier than hell, because I said on one episode, you hear that? Try it. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, girlfriend Dawn. She doesn't count. She counts. She's no, a, dude. When you're given hey, the D. Dawns are people, too. That's not what I said. <laughs> Anyway, that's three. But okay. anyways, think about and it. The other three dudes in my band. Oh my goodness, you can't count them. I can too. They're people too. They are. I love them all. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. So while Otis was embarking on his travels around the US, Henry Lee was released from prison early due to overcrowding. In nineteen seventy, he was a free man after only serving ten years on a twenty year minimum sentence for second degree murder. He was arrested again in order to serve another five years in prison. I said five, another five years in prison. Five years. Oh, my God. My handwriting sucks. So that time for the attempted kidnapping of three young girls. While he was sitting in prison, he found another pen pal and fell in love with the young woman again. Upon his release in 1975, the two of them were married. It wasn't long before Henry Lee's marriage fell apart. Mainly because she discovered that he was actually having sex with her young daughter. Yeah. Brutal. No bueno. Yeah, that that's a not negotiable. Yeah, remember though when on one episode, it wasn't you and I because I was, that's when I was having my health issues. But they talked, you guys talked about the billboard that's in Florida now. About yeah. don't drink and drive and don't have sex with your daughter. Yeah. Isn't that disgusting? I, why you would even need a billboard for that means that there's a serious problem with guys going, hey, you're my daughter, but I have an idea. Yeah. Precisely. Now, after his wife left him, Henry Lee hooked up with another woman, but he was only with her for a couple of months. She chose to leave him when she found out he had been sexually abusing her daughter. However, I see a pattern. Uh, yeah, and you'll see another one in a little bit. However, she didn't just walk out in him. She told her family, and remember, they're from Virginia. There's a butt whooping about to be commenced. There, No, there's a lynch mob. This is true. This is true. Yeah. So in retaliation, the woman's entire family decided to run him out of West Virginia for good. That's when he decided, hang on, I got a cough, <coughs> to go to Florida. Hairball? No, I had something stuck in my throat. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Okay, yeah. Hey, whatever you got to say, goodbye. I was going to say, 
I'm over here eating a hot dog, but that'd be even worse. Why are you making this hard for me? We're keeping this one clean. And you're I just know. over here just killing me. I'm just I'm just baiting you. No. Oh, yes, you are. Um, just a quick question. Is your hand on the back of your head? No, why? Well, eating the hot dog and all. <laughs> Shop, I hate you. I, I, I've just seen people do that. I was wondering if it, it's it something should, you do. It wouldn't be mine. But, um, be two hands? It wouldn't be my hand. Um, Otis uh, had also married a woman. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, no, I already said that. Now, Otis, during that time, Otis had also married a woman. However, their union only lasted for three days. According to the court records, and this is documented fact, the woman was 25 years older than him and when the two, when the two of them got married. And it was while they were on their honeymoon that Otis informed her that he was, in fact, gay. You would think that'd be like a preamble. You know what I mean? Like, like but, hey, by the way, I love you, but I'm also very gay. I was going to say, but you and I both know that people didn't admit to it so openly back then. Because That's true. I have a friend whose aunt actually married a gay man because she didn't know he was gay at first. But when he came out and told her she w- he was gay, they actually remained married so that they would keep on that facade of a happy marriage. And that works, man. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. I-, I figured to each their own. To yeah, me own. too. But then we didn't grow up in the 50s, so. Well, you did. I didn't. I'm so not liking you right now. Well, you'll always be older than me, Scott. I will always be 29 and fabulous. <laughs> and you'll always be older than me. <laughs> keep so, going. Um. Once his marriage was over, Otis had nowhere to go, and he was hungry. That's when he decided to go to a local soup kitchen and get some food. It just so happened that Henry Lee chose that same soup kitchen to have his meal that night. Now, I I mentioned this earlier, but when I was reading about this encounter for the first time, I did think about that Journey song. So the two men struck up a conversation, and the rest was history. However, I would also add it was tragic. Are your teeth messed up? Yeah, mine are too. I'm in love. Me too. You're so bad. My my fucking scroll. Oops. I'm sorry. Did repeat the word that you said? My freaking I... scroll wheel. Gotcha. That's not the word that I heard. No, I know. Me neither. It keeps messing up. So when it comes to most serial killers throughout history, some of their claims aren't true because they all tend to lie. Where am I? Okay, I, I messed up that whole sentence and I just kind of paraphrased it. You're at the Twisted Blue LLC no, studios? I paraphrased that sentence because the way I wrote it made no sense. So, however, when it comes to Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, most of the crimes I confessed to were nothing more than a complete fabrication. The two of them later said that they were responsible for so many murders and made many bizarre claims. If anyone tried to believe everything that Henry Lee and Otis said about their crime spree, their heads would explode. That being said, I will tell you what they confessed to you and do my best to indicate which ones were substantiated. Over the next five years, after Henry Lee and Otis developed a romantic relationship, they claimed they have killed a total of a hundred, I mean, I'm sorry, not a hundred and eight, a thousand and eight victims together and separately. If that were true, that would have made them the most prolific non-wartime serial killers in the history of, do you know? Forever. History. Yeah, and forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I think the only ones that have topped that are Mengele and Ishii. Only marginal. Yeah, and that's only because they had a free victim pool. 
So that being said, most of those claims proved to hold no water. Many were proven to be actually bold-faced lies. However, there is proof that the two did, in fact, assault, rape, and kill several people. Enough people to officially label them serial killers. Throughout those five years, Henry Lee and Otis traversed 26 states and accumulated countless victims. The authorities missed them during their murder spree. First, they weren't in any one place for very long as they were constantly on the move, right? Right. So second, they allegedly changed their modus operandi after each victim. When Henry Lee gave his confessions later, he said, and I quote, I killed them every way there is except poison. So he didn't use arsenic, Scott. I applaud Don't say it. (laughs) So there's been strangulations, there's been killings, there's been shootings, and there's been hit and runs. Okay? Then he went on to explain how he, quote, trained Otis. He said he was doing his crimes all one way. I started to correct him in his ways in doing the crime where he wouldn't leave information. Right? Mm -hmm. This makes Henry Lee sound like an expert in forensics. Right? What are you doing? Listening to you and chewing on some uh, mixed nuts. I was... okay. How does it feel? I can't say anything. I hate you. <laughs> so in these st- if these statements were factual, their tactic actually worked. The two left a trail of death throughout the country for several years that would go that would not be explained. Although the majority of their alleged victims were sex workers or hitchhikers, most of them were never identified. When it came to the alleged murders committed by Henry Lee and Otis, their victimology was all over the map, even the ones that had been confirmed. The age range, gender, and social class of people they killed were not specific enough to link any murders to each other. This was especially true for the pre-computer era. A significant reason law enforcement officials couldn't link any of the murders was that they only had one connection. Nobody would have ever thought to look for a connection and they were committed by two lovers with an obsession for killing. In addition to the physical and sexual assault associated with the murders, Otis also added cannibalism to his list. Tasty. Now, I think, oh no, I might not get into it here. As a matter of fact, after Otis was arrested, oh, I do get into it here, and convicted of murder in the 1980s, he agreed to be interviewed. The interview was with a crime journalist named Billy Bob. (laughs) So Southern. In that interview, Otis went into graphic detail about his alleged cannibalism and satanic rituals he and Henry Lee were involved in. And I actually found the article and actually rewrote it to correct the typos, but it's still pretty much the same. And uh, on our blog, on Medium, I actually have a link to it so you can read it. Right? But... Due to the graphic nature and explicit language, reader discretion is advised. So according to statements Henry Lee made later, he never engaged in cannibalism. Otis contradicted his former lover's claims and told people the man not only participated, but was entirely on board. There is recorded audio of a phone conversation the pair had after their arrest that indicated they were both practicing cannibalism during some of the murders. As she taste. Just like Tammy. Just like what? Just like Tammy. Shut up. (laughs) I hate you. 
So during his interview with Billy Bob, Otis played up his cannibalism. He even offered to send anyone his secret recipe for human barbecue sauce. All they had to do was send him a stamped envelope with their request. I guess there's something to be said for this man's opportunistic endeavors, right? I want that recipe. I know, I know. I'm trying to find it online, and you know me. I'm the research ninja, so if I can't find it, it's not out there anywhere. It just sounds delicious. Um, I'm hungry. Um, um, I'm speechless. <laughs> So, despite what the fairy tales and romance writers try to tell us, true love doesn't always last forever. Especially when neither party is trustworthy and they are both criminals. After Henry Lee and Lutus, Lutus, Otis had been in their relationship for five years, they wound up going their separate ways. In fact, Henry Lee left Otis to be with his lover's young niece. Oh, this gets even worse. The Secret re- lovers. Really? Discovered. All righty then. So the reports I found varied regard, regarding Frida. That was her real name, but they she went by Becky. How do you get that? I don't know. Her name was Frida. Go. It worked great when she got pulled over by the cops. It wasn't Frida Olay. <laughs> Olay. You like that one? I dad joked you right now. That's sad. I know it was kind of like yours. But mine how, are awesome. <laughs> whatever. How were they? They all agreed that she wasn't more than 13 years old. Before the moment Henry Lee and Becky ran off together, she and her younger brother spent time with the two lovers while they were on their five-year murder spree. Some people might be confused about why a gay man would leave his lover to have a heterosexual relationship. However, from the reports I found, Henry Lee identified as bisexual, and as a bisexual, he leaned towards a preference for women. I hope this helps to clear up the issue. While Henry Lee and Otis were still together, Becky's mother agreed to let her children travel around with the two men. However, both children were still minors when their mother died suddenly. Just a minor problem. Dad joke number two. (laughs) After her death, both Becky and her brother were made wards of the state. And I made every effort to find out his name, but the only thing I could confirm was that he remained in the state shelter until he was 18 years old. So they changed your names? I don't Becky. know if they changed their names or they never released it because he was a minor. No, I mean they changed names from Becky to Ward. Dad joke number three. <laughs> I'm still keeping a tally of the lame dad jokes. So Becky, on the other hand, ran off with Henry Lee. Apparently, he walked right into the shelter she was staying in, grabbed her hand, and walked out the front door. So it's kind of like shopping. He went, I'll take that one. Or shoplifting because he walked out with her. <laughs> Uh, maybe he dropped a quarter. I don't know. I wasn't there. Oh, my goodness, Becky. <laughs> Look at her butt. <laughs> it is so big. So Becky, on the other hand, ran off with Henry. Oh, wait. No, I already read that. They ran off to Texas together and left Otis feeling betrayed and alone. He later claimed that he killed a minimum of nine people to blow off steam um, from the feelings of abandonment. Once Henry Lee and Becky arrived in Texas, things soon went south with the mismatched couple. By then, Becky was only 15 years old, and the two of them were hired to be caretakers for an elderly woman. That job didn't last long because the woman's family claimed that they were stealing from her. Her relatives also claimed that the couple hadn't been taking care of her correctly. 
After Henry Lee and Becky lost that job, they drifted around Texas. After a while, they found a commune that accepted them into their fold and settled there. He even managed to get a job as a roofer during that time. So when I came to that part, actually, I, I actually thought it was pretty weird because he almost gave up his life of crime to become an upstanding citizen for a moment, right? Not really. He's he's banging a 13-year-old. Okay, well, back then it wasn't as frowned upon as it is now. Um, it's still so gross. South. It's still so gross. Oh, my God. You say that? Yeah, it's gross, man. I'm going to remind you that every time you you tell me a joke that you know I hate. It's just gross. Is that That's what that is, man. No. No, I agree with you. He's like, I what? He's like totally. in his 40s at that point? Uh, yeah, pretty What the hell much. do you have in common? She's talking about freaking, I don't know, like doing her hair. and you're She's talking, talking about, about the Backstreet Boys, and he's talking about Merle Haggard. Ain't nothing wrong with Merle Haggard. No, I know, but I'm just saying that's the age no, difference. No, too late. You already lost me. You know I don't I, like you. No, you I don't know like you. I love Merle. Too late. Shut up. Bag in on Merle. No. No, no. Can't have that. I wasn't. Was it Merle that you sang with? Yeah. Okay. I'll play guitar. Uh, okay, maybe I should have said Waylon Jennings then. No, Waylon was a good artist. Was too. he too? Yeah, he was decent. Yeah. Okay. So people already suspected. Oh, wait, no. I I missed that. I, f- I skipped two paragraphs. A short time after Henry Lee and Becky settled in at the commune, she became really homesick. As a result, the two began to argue, which happens with teenagers. They, they continued arguing. The continual arguing ar- angered Henry Lee. And one night, in a fit of rage, he wound up raping and murdering her. After he dismembered her and scattered the remains over her field. Not long after that, he returned to the house of the elderly woman they had taken care of. And he told her that Becky had run off and needed help. Now, he, he actually went to her and said, Becky ran away. Can you help me find her? And she, this 82-year-old woman named Kate Rich, was actually gullible enough to follow him. <laughs> and that's putting it nicely, right? Yeah. Hello? Did I'm still me? listening. I know, but you're like so silent. I'm not used to this. So once he had her in the area, he killed the older woman and stuffed her body in a drainage pipe. People already suspected him of stealing from her. Therefore, he was their prime suspect when her body was discovered. He managed to elude the authorities for a few years. But then in 1983, he was a regit. Oh, Bridget. Arrested and charged fully legally possessing a firearm. That's what I get for trying to read this so fast. A Bridget. Don't make fun of me. I sound like my nephew. <laughs> Sorry. I've got so many bad comments. I know you do, but I said it myself. So almost immediately after Henry Lee left Otis and ran off with Becky, Otis began even more aggressive. And deranged. In in January 1982, he had an argument with a 64-year-old named George Sonnenberg. As a result of that argument, he barricaded the old man in his own house and lit it on fire, burning him alive. Damn. I know, dude, right? So he was arrested and charged with crime. After he went to court and was found guilty, the judge ordered him to spend 20 years in prison. However, as soon as that trial was over, he went on trial for another murder he had committed. The second trial was for the murder of 19-year-old Ada Johnson. In 1984, another jury found him guilty, and the judge sentenced him to life in prison. You know, Ada caught him no matter what he did. That's your southern word of the day, Ada. Four. 
Um, with both men behind bars, one would assume they would just fade away into the obscurity of serial killers' past. However, that wouldn't be the case with these two. Apparently, they shared more than a shared obsession with murder. They both love being in the spotlight. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Stool sparked a controversial decades-long confession spree that rivaled their murder spree. This series of confessions which launched them so far into the limelight that some people are still talking about it. While they were making their confessions, police across this great nation scrambled to close their cases. Law enforcement officials found themselves tracking down hundreds of false leads. As a result, the media soon dubbed them both, but more specifically, Henry Lee as the confession killer. Now, um, hang on a second. Um, during his confessions, I'm going to skip a little bit here because... You know, after he confessed to murdering Becky and Kate, he admitted to an additional 100 murders. In his initial confessions, he said about incriminating Otis as well. So when they first approached Otis, he told law enforcement officials, I didn't have nothing to do with it. However, one me. One me. So, however, though, once he noticed how well Henry Lee was being treated by the authorities... He changed his tune and sang like a canary. Henry Lee said he wasn't responsible for 100 murders by November of that year. In fact, according to him, by November, he was responsible for at least 210. I believe it. Yeah. He soon had law enforcement officials from all across the United States. Sorry, my phone started ringing. All across the United States visiting him. During his confession spree, Henry Lee had luxuries that most prisoners would never experience, let alone dare to dream. He was eating at local restaurants, he was brought takeout, and for every murder he confessed to, the Texas Ranger in charge brought him a strawberry milkshake. He gave an, an interview after he gave interview after interview. And there was one time actually I saw in the documentary when I was doing my research where he gave like confessions to three murders in one day right so he asked the guy he said so do i get three milkshakes tomorrow and the guy brought him three milk god dang i wish i can get a freaking milkshake here you, <laughs> right you guys never bring me milkshake you know what y'all are failing that's what it is all of you Dude. the researchers my, my my you as my assistant the intern i never have once have gotten one milkshake hey i brought you. you a big cupcake one time okay because, you know, I guess the milkshake brings all the cupcakes to the yard. <laughs> and my life is better than yours. <laughs> Don't make me start rapping on you. Because <laughs> you can't, but I can. <laughs> so, Henry Lee actually gave interview after interview. And he was often actually given chances to leave the prison. He Otis soon found himself wanting to get the same action. He started backing up Henry Lee's claims. And not only that. He began making confessions of his own. Now, the most notorious crime that Otis confessed to, because we all know Henry Lee made some, you know, horrible, substantiated, unsubstantiated claims, and we'll get into those in a second. But Otis dropped a bombshell when he admitted to being responsible for the 1981 murder of, and it's the most notorious murder other than the Lindbergh baby that anybody has ever heard of. And that was the one who murdered Adam Walsh. Remember that one? I do. America's Most Wanted. Yeah. Um, for those who don't remember, 
or are too young to have heard about it, let me shed a little light. Adam Walsh was one of the most notorious cases in the history of the United States other than the Lindbergh baby abduction and before John Benet Ramsey was murdered. It involved the de- disappearance and sub- subsequent murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh, and it was one of the biggest headlines across America. It was also what launched John Walsh from America's Most Wanted to begin that project because he wanted to stop it from happening to somebody else. And it also launched because Adam was kidnapped from a store. Thank you. Adam was kidnapped from a store, so it also implemented the code Adam. So if a child is thought to be abducted from a a retail establishment, they are to immediately call a code Adam over the loudspeaker, and the place is supposed to shut down until they search for that child. So, um, now, let's see here. It... Even though his claim wasn't substantiated at the time, it was later proven in 2008 that he did, in fact, murder Alden Walsh. The majority of the other confessions Henry Lee and Otis gave were complete fabrications. Believe it or not, Ripley's, some of them were pretty comical the first time I read them. Oh, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to Are get you ready? this part of me. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Okay, so for instance, one thing they both confessed to being a part of turned out to be a big conspiracy. They claimed to be part of a satanic cult called the Hand of Death. This cult allegedly told the two men who their victims would be and when to kill them. They even equated the control... They even equated that the control of, quote, the Hand of Death had over them was the same that Charles Manson had over his followers. Right? That tracks. Now, hang on a sec. I got to take some ibuprofen. I'm sorry. Take some ibuprofen. Okay. Now, Henry Lee claimed to be responsible for two other notorious incidents. Number one. These are my favorites. I know. Mine too. I can't get over this one. The first notorious incident he was allegedly responsible for was the disappearance of Jimmy Hoff in 1975. Yeah, that tracks too. <laughs> yeah. According to Henry Lee, the man, former, the man, a former Teamster president, vanished because Henry Lee killed him. Which, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh so hard. But if that were true, just tell us where his body is. Right? Because nobody ever know, has ever found his remains. Hello? I'm listening. Okay, but I asked you a question. No, you just made a statement. No, I said, show us where he is, right? Oh, I thought that was rhetorical. I mean, rhetorical. No. <laughs> I hate you. Five. So the Jonestown Massacre in Jonestown, Guyana, in South America, was also, that happened on November 18, 1978. Henry claimed that he was the one who supplied Jim Jones with the cyanide used in the infamous mass murder-suicide that ended the lives of 909 innocent people. 304 were infants and children. And we all know that was me. It, it, yeah. My question is, is how did he meet Jim Jones if he never really went to California and or Mexico? Hey, man, he's, he's good that way. He's good. He's, he's pretty, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Transcontinental? Yes. He's trans something. (laughs) So, 
Henry Lee also led the law enforcement officials all over the U.S. to phone to phony dep- dump sites. I, my handwriting, I mean, my typo is horrible right now. He told them a body was buried under a portion of paved highway on one occasion. And they excavated that section of road, only discovered there was nothing there. Except for like, dirt. He tore up I-5, right? Yep. <laughs> Maybe that's why traffic's always backed up coming across the bridge. Could be. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's busy looking for a body. <laughs> right. So when Henry Lee got the impression that the authorities would stop dealing with him, he turned the tables. He would direct them to an authentic burial site and give them precise details. He described how a victim, how the victim, who the victim was and how they had been murdered. And he provided them with more information only the natural killer would have known. Otis did the same, only he wasn't nearly as notorious as Henry Lee. And the media didn't love him as much as they did Henry Lee. Not as good looking. Um, I'm not seeing where either one of them was, but... It's a hot, hot piece of prisoner right there. I guess when you're missing a couple teeth, you're better looking than when you have gap buck teeth. They're not missing. You got summer teeth, like I said. Some are here, some are there. Yeah, okay. Um... Let's see. One time, Otis gave a long, drawn-out confession dealing, detailing how he had murdered a woman. Only the authorities, when he was after he was done, said, um, we have a guy who already confessed to that crime. And he said, and I'll quote here, okay, if you say I didn't kill her, maybe I didn't. You ever think he might have had winter teeth? I'm waiting. When are you going to get some teeth? Six. (laughs) In one interview Otis gave, he compared murdering people to slaughtering farm animals. He didn't do a comparison like I did about murder. No, no, please don't do it right now. I'm going to let that one pass. (laughs) Nobody needs to know. So, ain't no, he said, quote, ain't no difference. If you stomp on a bug, you killed something. If you killed a hog, you killed something. Ain't no different to killing people. If you're my ex-wife, you, my ex-wives, you killed my soul. You killed something. Yeah. <laughs> and my pocketbook. Right? That's, that's the main thing. That's a double homicide. <laughs> twofer. <laughs> that's a twofer right there. <laughs> so, all in all, Henry Lee confessed to over 3,000 murders. He was only convicted of nine. However, even though... His claims were so over the top. They actually do believe he might have been responsible for a hundred. Otis was only convicted of murdering six people. Regarding his total body count, the authorities believe he was actually responsible for the deaths of at least 60, if not more. Even though a conviction wasn't made on all of them, the police officially closed a grand total of 213 cases. Damn. Cases they attributed to Henry Lee and Otis or both. Some people have refuted those claims, but most of them have remained closed to this day. Um, Hang on just a second here. Okay. Um, after, while Henry Lee was in prison, he found God. And became what some would call a poster boy for a redemption. Hold on, where was he hiding? Like behind his bunk or behind his desk? Under a table? I don't know. Been under a table. I found behind God. a tree. 
I found Jesus. He's right Because you know that what tree. happens what, when you go Oh, my God. Don't get me started on that for my friend Susan no, from Texas. <laughs> Gee, Merry Christmas. You're killing me. Killing I, me. I know. I can't help it. So, anyways, he actually recanted all of all of his confessions except for murdering his mother. He also vehemently does, denied molesting or hurting any child. However... I don't see how that's the case when it's been proven he was in a relationship with Becky, right? I was going to say, yep. Well, Becky there was only 13, so. Yeah. I did find out one interesting fact while I was researching this case. There has been only one time that George W. Bush com- commuted a death sentence down to a sentence of life in prison, and that was when he commuted the sentence of born-again Henry Lee. Still, it wasn't enough to give the man hope of ever being released from the Texas Department of Corrections. He, Henry Lee did grant an interview with a reporter from the L.A. Times. During the interview, he said, quote, this life is gone. Maybe God will find something. I've left it in his hands. I just have to accept it. He died of heart failure on March 12, 2001. Upon his death, prison officials were concerned about his grave being vandalized, so they buried him in an unmarked grave. He was interred somewhere in the prison cemetery at, and I hate even saying this, but I know we got to keep it clean, Peckerwood Hill. That's the name of the place. I didn't make that up. I got no comment. I hear the silence. (laughs) Hear that? That's called silence. Yeah. So Otis claimed that Henry Lee's recant recantations were laughable. In fact, he continued to give the media lascivious tales up until the day he died on September 15, 1996. After being a dedicated alcoholic for many years, he succumbed to cirrhosis of the liver the same way his father did many years before him. I thought that was a night from, you know, the Knights of the Round Table. Cirrhosis? Cirrhosis. No, it's Sir Lancelot and Galahad. I thought it was, you know, cirrhosis of Camelot. No. Um, considering the era when Henry Lee and Otis embarked on their murder spree and were finally apprehended, I found something else about this case somewhat interesting. I fully expected, and you and I have talked about this before in several other cases, like the doodler, right? Yeah. I know that sounds bizarre, but it's a true case that happened in San Francisco. So, however, while reading all the reports and articles, I didn't see much of what I'm going to talk about. Um. I fully expected there to be a level of homophobia regarding how the two were treated by law enforcement, right? In fact, it was, if it was any bias at all, it was very subtle. It was more understated than it has been for other cases that involve murderers who also happen to be homosexual. I mean, you and I have also talked about this even to this day. Like, if a man and or woman happens to be gay and they commit a crime, that is what the media focuses on. That's true. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so killed so many people and, you know, they're gay. Yep, gay serial killer Patrick Kearney. Yeah, or um, gay serial killer, you know, well, of course, he doesn't deserve our respect. Randy Kraft and Bonin. Don't get me started on those two because I did them as a trifecta. Well, no, and it's like, it's almost like they justify it. Yeah, he killed these people because he was gay. Right, and being gay doesn't make you a serial killer no more than being straight makes you a serial killer. Yeah, you're not a serial killer. You should see ah! what I, you should see what I do to Fruit Loops. <laughs> I know. Do you still have that spoon I gave you? There's a spoon. That yeah, I gave you that spoon that said serial killer back when we started this. I can't remember. Oh my, my goodness. So 
oddly, Otis wasn't even tried tied to Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, he was even tied to Jeffrey Dahmer for a brief moment. Some people tried to claim that Otis and Dahmer were actually, they actually knew each other. And the main reason for this claim was that many people felt that Dahmer was the one who was responsible for Adam Walsh's death. That was a common belief, even though there was never any evidence to prove that case. And not to mention, John Walsh has odedly, adamantly denied Dahmer's claim. I mean, the the fact that Dahmer was involved, but he fully believed that Otis was. I will admit that there was slight homophobia. It was present. It was evident to me how Henry Henry Lee was treated compared to Otis, especially when when one considers that Henry Lee identified as a bisexual and Otis identified as a homosexual. However, unlike similar cases, I did notice that the media itself did not sensationalize that aspect of the crimes committed by these two men. Although the media did call both men sexual deviants, it may not be why some people think. The widely held opinion is that they weren't referred to as deviants due to their sexual orientation, but because of how they raped and sexually assaulted their victims. Now, one thing I'm sure we can all agree on is that without a doubt, the streets of this country were made a whole lot safer when these two men were finally apprehended. But way less funny. I know, right? I'm, I'm sad that they're both dead. Because you and I would both love to interview these guys. Well, yeah, I'm getting ready to interview a particular serial killer yeah. that I'm not even. I'm yeah, not we haven't releasing. even featured him yet. Yeah, no, and um, we're not going to talk about it yet. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about who it is, but I'll tell you what, I'd be on a plane to Texas in a hurry Dude. to be able to interview Henry Lee yeah. Lucas and Otis Tool. Right, and there's one that we want to do down in California. That if I can get that one, I mean, oh yeah, yep, yep. you better find. Fly me first class. That's all I'm saying. I'm flying you baggage class, man. You're going to be in the underbelly of the plane. I hate you. <laughs> they make crates in all sizes. Just saying. <laughs> I hate you. Granted, there were and are others who have who have taken their place. However, none of those have proven to be as horrific as Henry Lee and Otis, nor have they proven to be as comical. Right? Right, right, right. Now... Most of the people who have listened to our show and have followed us for the last year and a half know why we found this case so fascinating. The mere fact that Henry Lee and Otis both claimed to be responsible for 3,000 murders was so astounding. Hey, they're busy bees, man. They're busy. I know, but it only in a matter of, what, five years? Yeah, there you go, man. They're busy, busy. <laughs> I mean, that averages out to 600 murders a year, which is... Almost two a day. <laughs> hey, man. There, you know, go big or go home. That's what I always say. Go big or go home. Yeah, right? The fact, this fact alone still makes Henry Lee, I mean, even the fact that they were proven to kill, I mean, that the authorities closed 213 cases, makes them the most prolific serial killers in the history of the United States. Possibly the whole world, if you don't take wartime criminals into account, or Dr. Shipman. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So I was actually floored by how law enforcement officials seemed to cater to Henry Lee, especially since he was already in custody. In fact, that was something I would never seen before, nor has it been done since, at least not here in the U.S. I was also utterly amazed by the audacity these two men seemed to have, not only in the way they changed up their modus operandi, which I have not seen when it comes to the cases I have studied to date, um, I was actually sort of in, 
I think it was actually sort of ingenious if it is true. That being said, there remains a little nagging voice in the back of my head when it comes to this case. That right? says yeehaw? No. Oh, okay. My voice doesn't sound like you. <laughs> However, that voice is more about the actions of the law enforcement than it is about the killers themselves. I've been asking myself one question, and I want to ask you right now. Were Henry Lee and Otis generally responsible for 213 more murders that the authorities attributed? Or do you think that law enforcement just closed those cases because they wanted to show the public they were actively searching for a killer? They just closed some of those cases out. I mean, let's, yeah. just, let's just be freaking honest here. Well, and um, I think we covered it after this case, but it's the Herb Bowmeister case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like... Even though he committed suicide before he could even be charged with a crime, the authorities have linked him to the I-70 Strangler case that I don't think he was involved in at all. He wasn't. That's a, that's BS. Yeah, because there was totally different um, victimology and modus operandi there. Totally. So, but that's all I have for these two. Well, I hope that y'all enjoyed this uh, episode of Brutal Nation. Remember... You can send us direct comments at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. You can also check out our blog on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs at. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye. You going to say goodbye over there? Bye, everybody. Sorry, I was thinking about something else. Right. I apologize. Peace.